Hello and welcome to First Things First from Mercado. Every month, Mercado CEO Rob Garrison explores the future of the supply chain and the impact of the first mile for thousands of importers around the world. Catch up and listen to the series on demand wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoy this next episode. Hi, my name is Rob Garrison, the founder and CEO of Mercado Labs. Welcome to the fourth edition of First Things First, where we introduce you to supply chain thought leaders from across media, venture, and technology. Last month's guest was Julian Cunahan. Julian's the founder and partner of Schematic Ventures, and he and I discussed some of the changes that have happened in supply chain technology and what he sees ahead. It was a really great show, and I encourage you to check it out if you missed it. And uh, Julian is what I would call the NG or new gangster of supply chain technology. So definitely a good person to learn from if you're interested in supply chain technology. Uh, today's guest is Mark Seal. Mark Seal is the VP of supply chain for Emser Tile. And Emser Tile is a global, global leader in um, stone and tile from around the world and literally around the world. They source from, from all over the place, from Europe, from the Middle East and from Asia, really an interesting business. And I, I know that you're really going to enjoy learning from Mark how he's dealt with the supply chain challenges uh, in this crazy couple of years. Um, congratulations to Jay Harmon. Uh, Jay was the recipient of our episode three donation to one of our favorite uh, charities, the Let's Talk Supply Chain Blended Diversity Pledge. And uh, just a, a great cause all the way around. Once again, Ricardo will be donating $100 for this episode uh, to this great cause on behalf of one of today's listeners. Okay, so now let's dive into a segment that I call the fastest five. Uh, today's top, hot topic is whether it's time to start tapping on the brakes. I'm not saying slam on the brakes, but maybe start tapping on the brakes. For the last two years in supply chain, all of you professionals have been trying to keep up with big increases in demand on the one hand, and also really crazy, unpredictable supply. So in these five articles, I'm gonna suggest that we're not at all done with the unpredictability. In fact, probably quite the opposite. However, it does seem that demand is starting to cool. So let's start with the unpredictable supply chain. And for that, I'm gonna take you to Arcola, Illinois for this great article by Lydia O'Neill. Shout out to Lydia. And for those of you who don't know it, Arcola, Illinois is the home to a large Amish community who make really great handcrafted furniture. So you wouldn't necessarily think that this group would be impacted by the global supply chain. However, a few notes, lumber prices are up by 70% in some cases. So massive impact on their cost, for example. Also, the slides for the drawers are made in Germany and the knobs and pulls are made in Asia. And so the end result of all of these supply chain issues and costs are that what was typically taking them three months to produce for furniture is now taking them nine months. So three times uh, the impact. So uh, the next article is from the Maritime Executive. And what they talk about is overall uh, liner reliability. So on a positive note, they're saying that overall liner reliability, meaning the predictability of their schedules, is up to 36%, up to 36% from 34%. So that's good. It's turning in the right direction. However, uh, delays are still averaging just over two weeks, both to the West Coast and the East Coast. And so when we talk about an average, it could be far less than two weeks, it could be far more than two weeks. So still from an unpredictability standpoint, both in terms of when the products are going to be ready and in terms of when the carriers are going to be able to get your goods uh, off the port and to your dock, still some wild swings. And then finally, shout out to Jonathan Chang, 
John and Penn has an in-depth article about manufacturing activity in China, which has been pummeled, pummeled as everybody knows, by COVID restrictions. So he, he cites some great statistics. The article will be linked here if you want to check it out. But he talks about the purchasing index that's dropped to its lowest level since pre-pandemic at 47. And that's well below the 50 mark. 50 is the mark that separates contraction from expansion. So we're in the contraction area with 47. Of course, it's not just the factories that are affected. It's raw materials. It's logistics. It's everyone that's impacted by this pummeling. And, and that makes for a very unpredictable supply chain. The article does not, though, anticipate a sharp rebound like we saw in 2020, which leads us to the demand slide side. So for my first article on the demand side, shout out to Gwyn Guilford about inflation rising to a four year high. Inflation in March accelerated at the fastest pace since 1982 and consumer prices rose 6.6 percent in March. April numbers will be released tomorrow, but the punchline is that the more things cost, the less people can afford them, and therefore, the less they're going to buy. So lastly, we're going to make a shout out to Sebastian Herrera for his article talking about Amazon's online shopping business, which is stalled after decades of growth. Uh, the tech giant reported slowest sales growth in roughly two decades, and its market share grew just by 0.2%, which is kind of unbelievable. So I'm going to close this segment with just forecasting the closing segment where I'm going to talk about things that can be done, five steps that every importer can take uh, to protect their margins in a slowing demand environment. The supply chain is facing its biggest period of instability in 50 years. Businesses need change, and with that change comes value. Subscribe to updates on the latest news impacting the industry directly from Mercado CEO and industry veteran Rob Garrison. And discover how innovation is challenging the status quo and saving an industry on the brink of disruption. Head over to MercadoLabs.com forward slash what I learned to get involved and start your supply chain journey to a brighter future. But for now, I'd like to welcome Mark Seal to the show. Mark, welcome to First Things First. Oh, good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this episode, and thank you for having me on your show today, Rob. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Mark. Uh, you, you've really just been a delight to get to know, and I, I, I can't wait for the audience to hear some of your stories. But let me start with, um, you know, you kind of had an amazing career when I looked at it. I, I checked again on LinkedIn what all you've done, and so you've kind of been a consultant. You work for big industry, small industry. Maybe you could take the listeners through your background and then maybe talk a little bit about your current role at Emser Tile. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I've been in uh, supply chain and global sourcing for uh, well over 30 years plus, and uh, I've had an exciting, I got to be uh, a part of the Home Depot during the growth years, uh, and really uh, as they were evolving uh, as, a, as, a, as a real brand in the marketplace. Uh, I've led my own, uh, I had an environmental logistics company uh, for a period of time, and uh now I'm with Emser Tile uh, as VP of Supply Chain. Uh, in my role, uh, Supply Chain is a little misleading in my role as I own from everything from product development uh, all the way to delivery to customer and all the pieces in between. So international distribution. I have a, I have a responsibility also for installation materials. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty diverse role for sure. So thanks for sharing that. So. Maybe next, if you could, 
uh, Mark, you and I talked a little bit um, several months ago about what a crazy ride it's been. Maybe take us back to about May of 2020, if you can remember that, and and sort of what a crazy ride it's been and what has been the impact on Emser Tile of all the stuff that we all talk about, the unpredictability of supply and the increase in demand and so forth. Can you give us a little color around what that's been like? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I still have some of the scars from May 2020. Uh, you know, what's interesting about from our side of the, in- the business is we are in the construction industry. We manufacture tile um, and we, you know, for homes, commercial projects, residential um, and so forth. And our industry never stopped. They kept on going. They worked around COVID. So, you know, we ran into a lot of challenges from countries closing, you know, where they were shutting down factories, uh, no containers, lack of ocean um, cargo space, uh, and so forth. So we, we actually went a whole 70 days or so without any product flowing to us uh, whatsoever. And we're fairly diversified. We're, we're in 20 plus countries around the world uh, you know, coming out of about 30 different uh, ports uh, into about four or five ports uh, into the U.S. So it was a fairly dramatic impact. One of the blessings, though, and our industry is very inventory intensive, we were in a pretty good position uh, once, the, you know, once COVID started from an inventory standpoint, but it drained our inventory uh, dramatically. And we really kind of forced us to really kind of flip um, supply chain on its head. Yeah, that's um, one of the more interesting parts of that story, Mark, as we progressed. And I'd love for you to share with the audience is how did you adjust to that? Right. When you talk about literally the world shutting down, running through all your inventory, 70 days to get more inventory. How did you make adjustments to get that sort of back in some kind of synchronization? Obviously, you survived it and thrived in it. How did you make those adjustments? Well, absolutely. So first of all, our company has a philosophy, two real guiding principles um, that are always a unique challenge uh, for us in supply chain. Number one is how do you say yes to your customer? You're not allowed to come home with a no uh, to our customers. And, And number two, how do you have your cake and eat it too? So we always talk about this as a company because as you, everyone on this podcast knows, supply chain is about, you know, capacities, mathematics, uh, you know, there's a certain number of days, transit, so forth. And so when you're out there promising, you know, and we've got well over a thousand sales associates on the ground every day, you know, out there telling people yes. And, and then, you know, we've got this dynamic of supply chain and we're trying to figure out that how do we be profitable, but deliver to the customer need. So one of the things that, you know, and retooling has always been a part of our game is we really had to take a look back and say, what are we going to do? Because it was impossible to build inventory. Okay. And so we put in a number of things, uh, you know, firsthand, number one, we call first port. And first port means, and I'll give you an example of what first port is, is that if we're manufacturing product in Turkey, and let's say we we produced 100 containers, and those 100 containers were for a number of ports in the U.S., we'll likely take 50% of those containers and land them to the closest 
U.S. port that has one of our DCs in. So, for example, Turkey to Norfolk, we can get there in about 28 days. Um, so we were take we'll take 50 of that 100 containers and send it directly to Norfolk, where that way, at least if we if we can ground it, we can move the product anywhere we need to uh, in the U.S. And in some cases, especially when you're coming from Turkey to go to Los Angeles, you're picking up four weeks. Well, four weeks when you have in the construction industry, we're the last we're the last hundred feet to them closing on the house or turning over the commercial building uh, to the owner. So the pressure on the tile business is extreme to hit those timelines and ETAs. So this first port has really paid off uh, in a lot of different ways. Certainly has a cost to it, but 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 when you're pushing to this kind of you know, pressure, the goal is get product to the customer uh, as fast as you can and have an agile supply chain. So that's that's the first thing um, we did. The second thing we did was we worked on with factories on key products. So in, in, in running tile, you run it for a number of days. And so if, let's say we're going to run a product that we only really need about four days worth of material currently, we might tell the factory, go ahead and run that for eight days. And by running it for eight days, they'll go ahead and ship us the four days we need. And the balance of the days, they'll 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 stock at their warehouse uh, and wait for us uh, to then turn around and, and ship it when we can get available containers. So what we really, you know, and being an inventory intensive, you know, industry, we had to really start to take a different look by doing some of these things. And we really changed our whole game to about flow, okay? And I think that, that you know, that's really what has been a game changer for us. And what I mean by flow, it's not really just in time. It's really more about if, 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 we, if every two weeks we can get a particular skew landing somewhere, okay, we can at least maneuver it to take care of customers, and quite frankly, we've had to make a lot of adjustments, okay, uh, based on what customer needs what and move stuff around domestically. But at least we've been able to fulfill our customers' need by doing this. We don't think that building inventory is going to be the game that gets played for a while. And we've seen transit times go from 92 days on average to well over 160 from the time you place order with the factory to the time you're delivering it to a distribution center in the U.S. So when you have that kind of transit time growth uh, and basically 18 months uh, and you have no guarantee you're going to get on a ship or that there's going to be container availability, you really start to say, okay, we got to quit looking at this traditionally, okay? And we've got to start saying about, let's just keep stuff flowing. If we can get flow... And if we can minimize that we don't have a gap larger than about two weeks between product flow, we can hit most of the ETAs with our customers that they need. And they really don't see uh, any challenges from us. I equate this, my analogy is to like a duck on water. The duck is flowing <laughs> along very smoothly on top, very calm. But meanwhile, the feet are moving so fast uh, to keep up. 
Mark, I have so many questions uh, to ask you, a lot to un unpack there, and I'm not sure exactly which way I want to take this. Um, before I ask you a question, though, I just want to highlight that Joaquin is tuning in all the way from Mozambique, Mark. So when you talk about a far-flung supply chain, we've got a listener from Moz Mozambique on the line. Shout out to Joaquin. Um, so, Mark, a, a couple ways that I can take this, and, and maybe up to you how you want to take it. One is I recall that it also required you to develop sort of a new skill because you had to put your sales data on. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had to go meet those customers firsthand. So, you know, that's one area I'd like you to maybe take it in for us. Or the other thing is when you transitioned from, you know, your traditional methodologies to going to first port, having the factories stock the product, moving to a flow model, what impact did that have on your organization? Who had to change? How did they have to change? So either well, way, take that sales ad or operational challenges. Yeah, we'll take them both. Number one, um, you know, I've always had to wear somewhat of a sales hat uh, at Emser. So I think that having product development, uh, yeah, you know, one. up under my responsibility, um, I've had to pay close attention to uh, what the customers need and so forth from a look and standpoint. We also have a director of design and trend who reports to me, and she's constantly teaching me about where things are going. And I've really had to stay uh, kind of in touch with that. But here, here's here's the thing. We're all selling, right? And what we really have to go and sell people on, um, and what I had to go out and meet customers personally on is what Emser was going to do, you know, for them, okay, all the way through um, its process to take care of its customers. Because remember, we're always trying to say yes to the customer, okay? And the second thing is we're trying to have our cake and eat it too. So the reality is, is that by going out and meeting with customers, and I urge every supply chain leader, you should be out talking to customers because in many cases, your customers can help you with insights. And that's how we came up with some things like first port and so forth is getting insights from customers on their needs, what they were willing to do, how flexible they could be. Uh, how inflexible they might be, particular customers. And that really allowed us to help shape some of that and get direct feedback firsthand um, from customers. Kind of the, 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 the second piece, um, you know, to this whole thing is, is that, you know, what we've we really had to figure out is as a company, how, how we're going to, how we're going to play at a high level of the game, right? Because the whole reason that Emser has, we have 78 locations across uh, the U.S., is to have local uh, support to our customers. And so those branches are that local support. And so our supply chain has to link into how do we provide uh, that local support. And those 78, you know, branches you know, all of them get to run their business. They, they run their business and they tell us what they need. So I basically have 78 presidents, okay, uh, out there running around, you know, making decisions, saying yes uh, to customers. Man, that's incredible. So how, so internally, Mark, with your organization, how did you guys have to change to adjust that? I mean, your folks, I'm sure we're used to doing things a certain way for a long time. And all of a sudden you had to kind of turn your whole organization on a dime, yeah? Well, our whole philosophy has been about having inventory, right? And so the first thing we had to teach everybody is, 
the game is no longer about inventory. Uh, and, yeah. and, 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 and quite frankly, I think that with potential recession coming and so forth, I think all supply chain leaders need to quit thinking about and get their companies to change the measurements of fill rate and inventory levels and really start getting engaged in how you can figure out how to flow because the pressure on supply chain leaders, especially if indeed we go into a recession, you know, obviously to some of the things you pointed out early on in your conversation, inventory tightness, uh, you know, you know, demand that goes, you know, uh, diminishing demand, how to manage your inventory. Um, you know, I, you know, it's really going to be about how you're going to flow. And you really, and, and so we had to teach everybody in our company about quit worrying about, do we have, are we in stock? Start worrying about what's the next arrival day. Okay. <laughs> right. And let's measure orders to the next arrival day. And we're actually going to, we're about to launch a project where we're going to start to adjust um, our open order software to where you can see the supply chain across the water. So now yeah. you can hook orders Okay, and allocate orders to what's coming in because the goal is we're probably never going to go, but at least in the foreseeable future, the game is not going to be about being in stock uh, and have and growing inventory. It's going to be about maximizing the flow of your inventory and fulfilling orders from that flow. So, Mark, you, you uh, preempted my question. I was going to ask you for some predictions for the future. So you gave us some good predictions in terms of how your supply chain is going to change. Do you have any insight or thoughts in terms of whether or not we're going to stop um, having such a constant uh, dynamic around supply, right? We've been short of everything from factory space to raw materials to truck space to vessel space. How do you see the whole supply side of the equation? Not, not only your products, I just mean in general, the suppliers of all your services and products. Do you think that will become stable again? Because that's the side. I, I think that for the, the next market. 24 months, we're in the we're, we're in the norm. Okay. Because what we're seeing is, you know, rotating, you know, raw material issues from industry to industry. It's bouncing around. Uh, all over the place. You know, most recently in the news, it's been a lot of talk about, you know, potential food shortages because of ingredients and, and so forth. So if you really, what, what's really hard to predict is, is your industry going to start to have raw material challenges? And I urge all to get really connected to the manufacturers you're working with that are producing your products to really understand um, you know, where they're at with raw material, because we really need to all start taking a, a look further up the supply chain to what, what, what is the raw materials going into your products and where do they source those? And what we've really found out in my industry, especially on the installation material side, is there was like one supplier making all the resin, you know, additive <laughs> for every for every company who makes mastics around the world one supplier and everybody had a real wake-up call when there now was allocation with that one raw material supplier so i really urge you to know where your raw materials are to make sure that your industry has some bit of soundproofing to keep you from all of a sudden waking up one morning and saying wow 
petroleum product really was in my product. And now I can't get what I need and I'm not going to get it for four months. Um, and I think that if you're going to wind up in a situation like that, and we're, we're working with that on, with all our factory base, with all the various products we do, what are all the raw materials and, and are there other options for raw materials? Start working on that now um, because um, it's just going to get more complex. Mark, that's great advice. I, last one of my podcasts, I talked about uh, Shimano, who supplies most of the gears for bicycles, right. and they're single supplier, right? So almost every bike manufacturer couldn't get the product. So I think that's great advice. How about on the flip side, sort of closer to home? Anything we can do uh, or that you recommend <coughs> we can do about sort of container shortages and price hikes, or is that here to stay as well? I actually think that pricing is going to settle down in, a, in the next um, – 18 months or so. And the reason I think that is I think there's a lot of ships coming on. There's going to be a lot of new ship cargo space. And I think with some slowing down of some consumer products, we're going to see some availability come up. I don't think we're ever going back to the days of what we saw pre-COVID in pricing of containers. But I do think they'll be flattening out and some of these exorbitant spot rates will uh, come down. Well, that, that's a good note to end on, Mark, because that should give me hope. And I, I want to tell everybody, too, I, I actually saw Mark and, the, and one of the owners of the company at the Trans-Pacific Maritime Conference this year, which was interesting, to make sure that they got a real good feed on it. So I, just another good management practice is the leadership of that company went to meet with the carriers firsthand to get some really great insight in terms of where uh, costing was going. So another great practice by uh, Emser and Mark. Mark, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure to have you and sharing your insights with the, the audience. I, I can't thank you enough for that. Thank you. It was a pleasure being on your show and uh, thank you for having me today. In a world where new content is created every second, it can be tricky to find what you're looking for. The Lab is a resource platform designed by importers for importers, packed full of content to help you learn and grow your supply chain operations. Access articles, videos, and webinars on demand and listen to the latest episodes from the hottest supply chain podcasts around. Start your journey at mercadolabs.com forward slash the lab. Okay, so hopefully you all enjoyed um, listening to Mark. He's uh, just a wealth of knowledge. And uh, you, you can, we'll ca capture all these show notes and put those in there so you can read more detail on that later. Um, I'm going to end this segment um, talking about a five-step program that I would recommend. One of them actually includes exactly what Mark said in terms of connecting to your supplier, step number two. So these aren't these aren't brain surgery, folks, but these are just things that I've been able to use and leverage and watch other people use and leverage over the years that really help. So step one is uh, create an SNOP. And if you don't know what an SOP is, just Google it, SNOP. But it's basically a methodology for connecting the sales forecast to the operating plan. So the S is sales and the OP is operating plan. And so you start with projecting what your sales are going to be in the near term, mid term, long term, and then you're building an operating plan around that. And the further you can forecast out, the more you can plan your resources more efficiently to keep costs down. So start there, making sure the organization's aligned on what's going to happen next. Um, step two, which is similar to what Mark said, is connect directly to the people who make and move your products. 
And while that sounds kind of obvious, it's not easy to do, number one, but it's all about increased collaboration, which will help everyone do a better job of forecasting and controlling expenses. So Mark gave a really great example, not a very specific example, where by connecting with the suppliers, they're asking them questions now, like, where do you get the raw materials for your product? And is there any risk to us in raw materials? And or how can we work together to purchase raw materials more effectively? And how can we work together on forecasts so that we can get our product out? So step two, connect with the people who make and move your products. And that runs across the gamut from your truckers to your factories to your tier one and tier two suppliers, if possible. Uh, step three, if you haven't already, you have to digitize your supply chain for increased efficiency. So obviously I'm a bit biased, but I've been doing this for a long time. And what I've experienced that the supply chain is really analog and that leads to sort of massive waste and re rework. Um, so for example, often the same data is rekeyed many times. And so there's that waste, but there's also the, the chance of data being wrong and leading to inefficient results. So that's a very simple example, but if you digitize it, you can do the data once and then leverage it by, by everyone. So just that's sort of step three in the process. Uh, step four, and, and what I see most companies missing and I guess Mark's a great example in the other direction is what I call supply chain analytics versus departmental analytics. When you have logistics running one set of analytics and <clears throat> purchasing running a different set of analytics, in Mark's case, design running a different set of analytics, oftentimes they don't connect. It's a chain. And if those different pieces don't connect to each other, what can happen is one department's metrics can sub-optimize the next link in the chain. And so company-wide supply chain analytics versus individual departments Department analytics is uh, sort of step four in the process. And then lastly, and this may sound counterintuitive or, or actually something you, you wouldn't really want to do unless you had to, but to create supply chain reports proactively for the C-suite. And I think most people recognize that uh, a lot of people in the C-suite do not have strong supply chain backgrounds. They've got great experience in lots of other disciplines, particularly in finance, but they don't have a good understanding of supply chain. So if you give them proactive metrics about what you see in terms of the trends in the supply chain, the metrics in the supply chain, they can help you and approve proper allocation of funds that you need to assure the supply. And you heard Mark talk about, for example, restocking or forward stocking inventory. So there's an expense to that, right? That doesn't come for free. If you can ask your suppliers to forward stock inventory, they may ask you in turn for another two cents uh, a tile or something like that. Well, that's going to require executive approval. So, you know, the, the best thing to do is report proactively to the leaders of the organization so they know what your vision is and then they can support you and make sure that the funds are properly allocated. So that will help you reduce costs. So all these things are going to be necessary, not only to run an efficient supply chain, which you want to do, but also to reduce cost. Okay, so that's it. That's our episode for today. Thank you everyone very much for joining us. Uh, I really enjoyed having you here and we welcome any feedback or comments at any time. My email address, as a reminder, is robgarrisonmercadolabs.com. Please feel free to email me anytime, and I'd love to hear from you. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. First Things First is a production of Mercado Labs, hosted by Rob Garrison. It is produced by Kaylee Hansen and Jazz Newberry and is created in partnership with Let's Talk Supply Chain. Voiceover by Courtney Shane. Our executive producer is Simon Lodge. As always, a special thanks to our live guests and audience.